Hey guys, we are jumping back into Luke, and we're going to take a real small section this week. Uh, we're going to look at week. I say week, but for this podcast, we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. And this is about Jesus's baptism. So let me read the text. Chapter 3, verses 15 through 22, 22, rather. Mm -hmm. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased so there's two major things that i'd like to highlight in here and it has to do with the spirit <clears throat> the spirit arriving um, and how jesus is going to baptize with the holy spirit and then the things that are said uh, by God the Father to Jesus at his baptism. So those are the two major things. I'll highlight a few other things along the way. First, I think I just want to practically make note that John the Baptist puts the spotlight on Jesus. And just practically speaking, as I think about that, man, that's... That's the kind of model that we need to respond to and follow. We need to put the spotlight on Jesus. When people ask if he is the Christ, he goes out of his way to show how much greater Jesus is than him. Actually, in Luke, Luke 3, verse 16, these are John the Baptist's last words is that he is mightier than I am, and I'm, I'm not even worthy to put his shoes on. So not even worthy to do that. And uh, my pastor made reference to, to that, that I think he said something to the effect that this was something that servants would do um, to to their masters, you know, take their shoes off, put their shoes on. 
and it's, it's not even something that I'm worthy to even do. Not even worthy to be a servant, I guess is maybe what John is saying there. And I'm challenged by that. Um, John sees himself as the opening act. He's preparing everyone for Jesus. He's the one from the wilderness announcing the gospel uh, of God's kingdom has arrived. And he's the one who's going to baptize in water. Jesus is bringing the spirit and fire. And my question to myself is, am I putting the spotlight on Jesus with my life? Am I preparing others to encounter Jesus by how I talk with them? But what I, what I, by what I do for others, am I putting the spotlight on Jesus with my life or am I putting the spotlight on myself? And so it was something that I just got thinking about and I'm just processing that. I want that to be my prayer. So this would typically be what I maybe end this podcast with, and I'm starting with it. So real quick, just for a a neat reference for some Bible study, let me read to you a passage from Malachi 3 that uh, should sound like John the Baptist, okay? So I don't think I've read this to you guys before, but think about some of the things that John the Baptist said, or just is, and I think this is very intentional. Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. So if we pause right there, we can say, wait a minute. That was what Zechariah uh, was uh, trying to remember if it was Zechariah that said it. Uh, uh, it's, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to real quick double check. <laughs> so. Uh, Yep, yep, there we go. Zechariah said it. He says in in chapter 1, verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So why is John the Baptist so incredible? Uh, Jesus is actually going to say he's the goat. He is the greatest of all humans. And to me, it seems pretty clear why. Because he had the job of preparing the way for the Most High, we read. So, okay, sorry. Back to Malachi 3. I'm going to start over. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. That 
reference to fire, I think, is significant to John the Baptist's ministry. So he, he says that he is going to, he says, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So I, I think there's a, a refining kind of fire vibe going on in what Luke speaks of that relates to what Malachi 3 is speaking of, that the one who is going to come will refine. And um, so one, one idea I wanted to, to highlight that. Also, I, I, didn't, I didn't mention this. It does begin in verse 15 in Luke 3. It says, as the people were in expectation. And that expectation, I think, is a wink to the idea of um, the, the consolation that they're waiting for. They're, they're waiting, remember, for the big three, for uh, restoration of Israel, the return of the king, and God's glory filling the temple. But they don't understand that all of these things are going to be wrapped up in Jesus. The disciples never get it. So I think that Luke is getting us to activate those ideas as we enter into this narrative about Jesus being the Christ. So they're wondering if John's the Christ. And John says, no, 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 no. I can't even take the guy's shoes off. I'm not worthy. It's incredible. The other thing that I wanted to highlight was the arrival of the Spirit. And that's going to be something very significant. The, the Spirit indwelt people in the Old Testament in, in various ways. So let me just uh, have you listen to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, it says that Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. He was full of the spirit of wisdom. And you also have the... um, the individual in uh, Exodus was filled with the Spirit to make the tabernacle. I forget that guy's name. He's filled with the, the tabernacle, uh, filled with the Spirit. Um, and, um, you know, it also says in, let's see, in Exodus 28, uh, we have... God saying, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. It's interesting. So it's the same, same word, same Hebrew word, ruach there. And then we, of course, have judges who are filled with the spirit. So we can look at Judges chapter 3. Judges 3, 
verse 10, it uh, speaks of Othniel. Othniel, it says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. So the Spirit of the Lord coming upon people to perform significant tasks in the Old Testament. But the Spirit would come and go on people. No one experienced a permanent indwelling of the Spirit, except maybe David. So it says from that time on, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, that the Spirit rested on David. So maybe that's the case. But John the Baptist says there's something very unique that's going to happen here, that Jesus is going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. So that spirit presence that um, that was there. And I, I want to show you something, that the spirit presence of God is God. Um, and we describe the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity. And what's very interesting is sometimes the Holy Spirit is mentioned as rescuing the people out of the wilderness. Sometimes it's God who is mentioned to be rescuing them out of the wilderness. And sometimes it's Jesus who is the one who is rescuing them out of the wilderness. So I, I think I just want you to know this. And we, you know, we do our best to try to talk about the Trinity <laughs> in the moment. The moment that we try to talk about the Trinity, we have failed. Because here are our... our silly little finite brains trying to talk about the infinite God who has existed forever. And that makes my brain blow up. But the spirit presence of God, I want to read a couple passages to you um, because I think sometimes maybe we view the Holy Spirit in a way that is subservient to Jesus and the Father. And I, I and, and if you don't, then forgive me for even thinking that. It seems like sometimes I, I hear language like that. And I want to say, it seems to me they're, they're co-equal. So we have the Spirit is fully God, Jesus fully God, the Father fully God, co-equal, eternal. And so look at the language here in Isaiah chapter 63 verse 11. This might surprise you a little bit. So when speaking about being rescued from Egypt, notice Isaiah says in chapter 63, verse 10 and 11, but they rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy. He himself fought against them. He remembered that then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people, where he is where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert? They did not stumble like livestock that go down into the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So who was there um, 
Who did they rebel against in the wilderness? God. Yep. The Holy Spirit. Yep. So Isaiah speaks of that. So it's the Holy Spirit who was in their midst. Okay. Uh, But then, interestingly, it says in Jude, it says in Jude that Jude 5 said, there's only one chapter in Jude. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So think about that. It says that Jesus was the one who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't say God or the Holy Spirit. It says Jesus. So who was it that was there in their midst? It was Jesus. So to me, I see the New Testament authors very comfortable interchanging um, who this God is. Is this God, God the Father? Yep. Is this God, God the Son, Jesus? Yep. Is this God, God the Spirit? Yes. And they are all fully God, but they are not each other. (laughs) Right? I was just having a fun conversation with a sophomore about this. Apparently, he and his friend were having a a Trinity conversation, and they wanted to, to talk with me about it. So... One thing, one other random thing I'm going to say is Jesus wasn't Jesus, though, before he became human. What I mean by that is that wasn't his name. His name wasn't Jesus before then. He was fully God and always has been fully God. So that's just classic Orthodox Christianity. Um, but he was named Jesus when he became a baby when he became human. And even, of course, when he was fully human, he remained fully God. The hypostatic union, that's called. And I have no idea how that works. But that that language about the Holy Spirit um, was something that I wanted to highlight. And, of course, the, the God who rescued them, um, the very presence of God being called the Spirit, leading them out of the wilderness, is the very presence of God who was filling the the temple and the tabernacle. And so one thing that I was talking with my church about um, in our study of Luke was uh, on um, our gatherings, that when we gather together, the Holy Spirit's presence is in our midst, God's temple presence is in our midst and how that should impact how we view our gathering together, how we should view the others in our group and the time that we're spending together as the spirit is in our midst. It's amazing. Um, one, One final thing to just highlight is this language of receiving the spirit that is being talked about here, again, points us back to the Old Testament. And so, real quick, let me just highlight Ezekiel 36 for you guys. In Ezekiel 36, and I've read this before, but the promise is uh, is this. Um, oh, 
And the context is coming out of exile. <laughs> of course it is, right? So in verse 19 of Exodus 36, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed because of what they did. But God says, but I had concern for them. And so God says this, he says, I'm going to vindicate my name and the nations are going to know that I am the Lord. When I take you from the nations that I've gathered you, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to give you a new heart, verse 26, and a new spirit. I'm going to remove the heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And then here's the verse in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36. I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you remember what John the Baptist had said? He, he was speaking of the need for repentance because a return from exile happens when the people repent. But wait a minute, here's the problem. The people can't repent. How can I repent on my own? I'm going to end up repenting of my repentance and I'm going to be in the same problem all over again, all over again. And so here, I think we kind of get an answer to that. The only way this is going to work is if I'm given a new heart. And the only way I can do that is if God is going to come in and give that to me. And so this is the incredible promise of the kingdom of God that we on our own are a complete train wreck and we're, we're not capable of repenting, but we need a new heart and we need God to come in and make us new. Um, in fact, make us new humans. And that language of being made as a new human will move us into uh, Jesus's genealogy, which we're going to get to next. So how thankful are we that our God is in the business of giving us his spirit, the spirit that brought life in Genesis 1 is the same spirit bringing life into us. And now Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation.